Talk to my friend Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative. I to this guy for wisdom. Well, yesterday was a, another tough day. It was another tough day that it felt like another loss. And I'm talking, of course, about the, the California recall election, where I am. Now, look, don't mistake me. I'm a realist always. The reality was it was an uphill battle. It was never, ever likely that Newsom was going to be recalled and that anyone else, even Larry Elder, was going to be voted in to replace him in the interim. But I've got a lot of mixed emotions and thoughts about this. I want to spend some time on it today because I've spent my, well, a lot of time, hours actually, just studying the results, studying the numbers, the hard numbers, to try and get a grasp on what happened. Because this was not even close. It was a blowout victory for Newsom. And the way Newsom was acting, of course, and I mean, they brought out Obama, they brought Biden, they brought Kamala Harris, regardless of what you think about those people. Well, they, they you know, threw everything but the kitchen sink at Larry Elder. And that tells you one thing. They were scared. They actually thought there was a possibility that Newsom could be recalled. And now, when the results are in, it wasn't even close. So what was all of that fear about? It was about nothing, apparently. So how is it that the, the Democratic Party and Newsom, this political machine, could be so fearful of Newsom being recalled that they acted so desperately? Raised, you know, $70 million, I think, dollars is the last I saw in this uh, recall effort to combat Larry Elder? And then it's a blowout. Now look, in California, Republicans are outnumbered two to one. We know this. But this, this recall effort was not a Republican recall effort. It wasn't. It was bipartisan. And the media's out there talking about how you know, this was some somehow an affirmation of, uh, of Newsom's leadership in the COVID fight. And yet that's the very thing that got him recalled. It was the lockdowns in California. It was bipartisan because Democrats, Republicans, independents all need their children in school. The French laundry incident, which incited anger bipartisan anger because he wasn't abiding by the same medieval draconian lockdown measures that he was imposing on the rest of the country. And so anyway, I guess my, my first point is just what was all this much ado about nothing? What was this overreaction by the left? Because what happened in the end with the results the way I'm looking at the figures, it wasn't even close. What did they have to fear? 
doesn't jive. But let's get into some of these numbers. So it was a blowout. Those that voted or who voted to recall Gavin Newsom, there were 3,336,480. So let's just call it 3.3 million voted yes to recall Newsom. Now no to recall Newsom. Those who voted to keep Newsom, 5,887,710. So 3.3 million approximately voted to get rid of Newsom. 5.9 million approximately voted to keep him. That's a blowout. Now what was interesting to me first in analyzing the numbers is if we go back to 2018, that was the California gubernatorial election that put Newsom in office here in Sacramento. Well, 7.7 million voted for Newsom. Now, John Cox was the Republican who ran against Newsom in 2018. He got 4.7 million votes. So in 2018, in the gubernatorial race, The Republican candidate got, well, one point, let's see, 3.3 to 4.7. So 1.4 million more votes were cast for a Republican in 2018 than were cast to recall Newsom, and you could put those in the same category. So how is it? I mean, they call this a Republican-led effort, but the Republicans clearly didn't show up. Now, look, I understand the issues with the mail-in ballots. In fact, as an aside here, you can track your ballot uh, in some system that's run in California here. And I went on to see if my ballot... Now, I did do a mail-in ballot. So did my wife. But I went on this website to see if my ballot had been counted... And currently, it's in stage one of four. Stage one being it's been mailed out to me. So my ballot, as of yet, whether it hasn't been updated or it hasn't been counted and won't be counted, well, as it stands at this moment, well, it's only been mailed out to me. Despite the fact that I put it in the drop-off box the day before the election, so it would be there, obviously, in time to be counted. Well, it hasn't been counted yet. So I don't know what that's about. That could factor into my discussions going forward at a later date. I'm going to get to the bottom of that. But this does not make sense to me. If this was a Republican-led effort, where the heck were the Republicans? More Republicans voted in 2018 for John Cox and then voted to recall Newsom? Despite everything that's happened between 2018 and now? All the anger that was out there doesn't add up. But there's something else I want to I want to comment on. Let's just let's just pretend for a minute that mail-in ballots are counted. Even if even if fake ones get counted for Democrats. This is where the realist in me wants to come out. There were 6 million votes cast for Donald Trump in the state of California in 2020. 6 million. 
Now, I've argued and said before that this particular recall had the vibe, the feeling of a presidential election and its weight, what it meant. Because of everything that we're experiencing with this unconstitutionality, these vaccine mandates, this oppressive, tyrannical regime in Washington, D.C. that is putting their foot on the necks of the American people. And yet we don't have any political defense right now because the Republican Party, we just have to admit in Congress, is worthless and feckless. I don't know what they're doing, where they are. I'll get into that later, I guess. I'll have to. But they're not doing anything. And so we don't have any political defense or any say until 2022 in a national capacity in terms of these Senate races and House district races. And so this was important. I thought that the the showing in California for this recall would be significant, significant. I understand also as a realist that in any governor race, and I hate to say this, but it's true, in any governor race, any House race, Senate race that's not falling in the same year as a presidential election, they just don't see the same turnout. Now, there aren't enough people that turn out to begin with in these presidential races, which is amazing to me. But I understand that it's lower even in something like this. But this recall was special. It was significant. It was an opportunity. And these recall efforts, by the way, are exceedingly rare in California. There have been, I think, I don't remember the exact number. There have been, I want to say 156 off the top of my head, but there's been well over 100 attempts made since 1913, I think it was. And of course, the only successful one was the Schwarzenegger recall in which Governor Gray Davis was recalled in 2003, I believe it was. And so again, this is an uphill battle, I understand. But this was huge, hugely important. And so my point is, again, I just want to restate, there were 6 million people who voted for Trump in California. Only 3.3 million voted to recall Newsom. And I know there are Democrats who have converted. I talked to one. I told you in the last episode, I met a a young woman. Well, she was an adult. But I met her, and she was a liberal Democrat her whole life. But after 2020 and these vaccine mandates and the way the left has shown their totalitarian colors, the way the leftist citizen has gone unhinged and expressed their hatred for their fellow man, Well, she's become a conservative. There are countless people like her out here. So my point is, there are a lot of people who have come to our side that have not fled California to add to our numbers right now. But even if this wasn't a bipartisan recall, even if it was a Republican-led recall as the Democrats have lied and said, if every voter who voted for Trump in 2020 had cast a ballot, and of course, caveat, that ballot was counted, but if every voter who had voted for Trump in California had voted to recall Newsom in California, he would have been recalled. 5.9 million people, rounding up, voted to keep Newsom in office. 
But 6 million voted for Trump in 2020. If those people had showed up, Newsom would have been recalled. And so part of me sitting here just saying, where are the Republicans? This was an opportunity, and it was a missed opportunity. And I just looked through these these different counties on here. There are a lot, of course, in California. And it's just, it's amazing. I mean, where's my, where's my, I took some notes here. Well, I want to go off on a side too here. I mean, there are a lot of ways to analyze this. There are a lot of reasons, you know, there are a lot of fingers we can point in different places to try and go back. I realize it changes nothing, but I think we need to learn and understand what's going on to improve our chances in the future. Um, you know, Newsom relied heavily on the unions, by the way, in California to help him. He went to them and begged for their help. Now there are how many, there are nearly, there are 2.4 million union employees in California, 2.4 million. That's a lot. And, um, when Newsom and the Democrats were scared, thinking that they could possibly lose, which I don't understand, again, given what actually happened in this recall, apparently. But Newsom's campaign told CNN before this election took place, just a week or two ago, leading up to it, that local chapters of the Service Employees International Union, California Teachers Association, American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, United Brotherhood of Carpenters and Joiners of America, State Building and Construction Trades Council, Laborers International Union of North America, International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers in the United Association, have all contributed a combined $14 million to fight the recall and protect Newsom. So you could look at this too and say, the unions are a significant problem in this state. Those 2.4 million union employees, if they all voted, cast their ballots to keep Newsom, that was enough to turn the tides as well. So how much, how much clout do the unions have? How obedient are these union members? How many of them are staunch Democrats who will do what their union leaders tell them? We know that our taxpayer dollars, well, they went to help Newsom out. But I just, um, do you know how many people voted back in 2003 to recall Gray Davis? Nearly 5 million. Nearly 5 million. And I would argue the stakes are much higher today. I understand the political landscape in California has changed since then. I understand that. But still, nonetheless, nearly 5 million voted to recall Gray Davis in 2003. And yet we could only get 3.3 million votes to recall Newsom today. But again, I would remind you that 4.7 million people, Californians, voted for the Republican candidate John Cox in 2018. Where were these voters? There's only two things that could have happened here. Either Republicans just did not show up, ironically, in this Republican-led effort, or there's votes that weren't counted. And I don't know what the answer is right now, 
But those are the only two options for Newsom surviving this recall effort. One, Republicans didn't show up. They didn't care. They weren't fired up, which I find hard to believe, given the fact also that there were also Democrats and independents who certainly voted for the recall. Or two, well, these mail-in ballots tipped the scale. This is Drew Allen. I'll be right back. Well, I feel like I should probably clarify something uh, before I move on here. Now, I was talking about the number of recall uh, attempts in California since 1913. 156, I think it said it was. That's of, of, of anybody, any state official, not just governors. There have been, I think, 11 uh, recall attempts for governor. And the only successful recall of a governor was Gray Davis, okay? So I just want to clear that up, get that out there before somebody starts saying, Drew doesn't know what he's talking about. I know exactly what I'm talking about. So anyway, that's what I wanted to clarify. But the real um, danger here now, of course, is that, well, the Democrats are doing their usual spin, uh, trying to weaponize what happened in this failed recall attempt as some foreboding message to Republicans going forward in 2022 and 2024, saying that this was a another uh, rejection of Trump. Because, of course, they associated Larry Elder with Donald Trump. They can't help themselves but bring up Trump all the time. That's the only thing they've ever had. Uh, in terms of ammunition, well, since Trump was in office. And it's a bunch of BS baloney. But anyway, now they're spinning this saying, anyone who, you know, falls in line with, you know, look, look, they're setting themselves up because it's more and more likely, and I've said it, I know that Trump's going to run for re-election in 2024. And I personally am supportive of it, and I've gotten into that before, I'm not going to do it right now. But now they're trying to set the stage to again deter their, well, they're afraid of Trump. They've always been afraid of Trump. Not just because of how successful he's been despite their media effort and campaign to separate Trump from his base, which has never been successful. We're all still out here. We're all still out here. All 75 million of us. Plus, but now they want to use this to try and deter Trump from running again in 2024. So that's what this messaging is all about. It's about trying to get the Republicans to run from Trump. But this had nothing to do with Trump. Nothing whatsoever. And of course, we haven't even gotten to the bottom of what the heck happened. I'm still, believe me, I will, I will lose sleep tonight thinking about it and I will continue to report to you any additional thoughts I have but Newsom now is going to act like the Democrats in Washington DC in Congress who barely barely have a majority 
in the House of Representatives, which they're likely to lose in the 2022 midterms. And of course, the Senate is split evenly. 50-50 and Kamala Harris is the tie-breaking vote, so she gives them technically the majority in the Senate. And yet they can't even get Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema to vote and block with him right now. So they don't have anything. But of course, they act as if they have a de facto ruling majority to destroy this country. And that's the model that Newsom's now going to use in California. And all those Democrats and individuals who did vote to keep Newsom rather than recall him, well, they're going to be in for a very, very rude awakening. Because the hammer's about to come down in ways that were previously thought unimaginable. Which is hard to believe and even say right now and admit, given everything that Newsom has done to this state since he's been in office. He's a radical left-wing Marxist who has career ambitions to one day become president of the United States. And of course, to be the president of the United States as a Democrat is to be well, in the pocket of China, but is to be a Marxist because that party has been totally, totally overtaken by the radical left-wing component kooks of the Democrat Party. Those individuals who were outliers in the past in the Democrat Party, well, now they own the Democrat Party. And now anyone who may have been a moderate in the past now bends the knee to the radical left-wing Marxist portion of the party. And so L.A. County is already moving to bring down the hammer in terms of these vaccine mandates and vaccine passports. It's already started, of course, but now they're going to double down. They're going to double down and they're going to pretend as if this recall, well, it was about giving them, well, the permission that they didn't really need. But of course... Newsom started to step back because he feared for his political career. And now that he hasn't been recalled, one, he's going to be out on a revenge campaign, a vengeance tour, revenge tour. And two, he doesn't have anything to fear anymore until his next re-election bid, which will be next year. So now we've got a year of absolute suffering ahead of us in California, thanks to what's happened. And that's my real fear now, is what this represents for the future of California. And I honestly don't understand it. I really don't. These Democrats who are so ideologically driven. I mean, everything that any Democrat can complain about in terms of the cost of living, in terms of homelessness, in terms of the economy being in ruins, a... uh, Lack of employees and openings in these businesses searching for employees they can't find because either, well, it's both really. One, the continued unemployment benefits that, of course, encourage American workers not to seek work, to just sit on their loins and take a check from the government, from you and me. And two, A lot of people have run out of this state and fled it. Many of them taking their 
leftist political ideology to a state near you, if you're in Texas or Idaho or other red states throughout this country. But California's in ruins, and Democrats vote. You know what's amazing, too, by the way? These Democrats are so pathetic. So pathetic and such liars. They have zero integrity. They stand for nothing. And it does drive me crazy, as you can hear in my voice right now, probably. But here you had Larry Elder, the first potentially black governor of California, and they vote for this elitist white guy, Newsom, to keep him around. Democrats are not the party of the minority. They're not the party of the little guy. But they've somehow convinced, of course, tens of millions of people, and many of them right here in California, that it's cool to be a Democrat. It's bad to be a Republican. And they'll never try anything else. This is Drew Allen. We'll be right back. And of course, there's many, many, many other things happening in this country besides the uh, failed recall effort to recall Gavin Newsom. We have a constitutional crisis in America like we've never seen before. And that says a lot because we have been in a post-constitutional republic here in America for many, many years, certainly under this administration, this present regime. But I'm sure you've heard that um, General Milley, well, he uh, he's committed treason. Treason. And he hasn't denied it. In fact, the uh, left, Jin Psaki, the spokesperson for the White House, are all defending him. Now, what did Millie do? Well, all of this stems from a uh, book by, uh, I guess, Bob Woodward and Robert Costa. They're both Washington Post reporters. Well, in their new book, they allege that Millie made two secret phone calls, both to his Chinese counterpart, General Li Zhuoqing, I don't know how you pronounce it, and I don't give a you-know-what, of the People's Liberation Army. A general in China, in other words. Well, the book alleges that the phone calls took place prior to the 2020 presidential election on October 30th, 2020. This is long before the January 6th insurrection, but then, of course, he also placed two other phone calls days after the riot on January 6th, on January 8th, 2021. But let's get into this, per the report. This book claims that Millie contacted Lee, Chinese Lee, China Lee, after he had reviewed intelligence that suggested Chinese officials believed that the United States was planning an attack on China amid military exercises in the South China Sea. Now, the authors of this book, Woodward and Costa, also claim Milley contacted Lee, General Lee, China Lee, a second time to reassure him that the U.S. would not 
make any type of advances or attack China in any form, as Milley promised. And he apologizes for America, saying, we're 100% steady, everything's fine, but democracy can be sloppy sometimes. Of course, democracy can be sloppy. We should have totalitarian Chinese communist rule in America, which is what the Democratic Party wants in this country. But this is a uh, disgraceful, unprecedented act by General Milley in America, our nation's top military officer. It's anti-constitutional. It's treason by definition. Now, Milley told his counterpart in China, Li, that he would alert Li if Donald Trump made any moves to do anything with regards to China in terms of fighting them, combating them, invading them, etc. Which was not going to happen in the first place. But we have a general, the top general of the United States of America, cozying up to the communist Chinese, telling him, the Chinese, Li, that he would let Li know ahead of time if anything was to happen. This is so outrageous. And of course, people are calling for his resignation. He will not resign. There will no be, be no pressure to resign from the Biden administration either. Because Biden himself should have already resigned. So why should Milley either? But this gets to a very important point. And this is something I've been thinking about and talking about for a long time. Why is Milley, why is General Milley using his position as a general in America to commit insubordination in our government, America, to help the Chinese? Why is he friendly to the Chinese and insubordinate to America? This guy's been bought and paid for by the Chinese, pure and simple. He is apathetic to America. He's pathetic. But he is sympathetic to the Chinese, an enemy nation that we know. Not only do they have the Uyghurs, the Muslims, that are in essentially concentration camps in China, and they're communists, again, but they are the greatest threat to America that exists. And he's taking the side of China over America. And this gets back to the important question. Look, it's the elephant in the room. I don't know why people aren't talking about it. They should. I don't know what they're afraid of. But the fact of the matter is this. It's very pure and simple. And I'll explain it here in a minute. But if you want to understand why our government is destroying America and helping other nation, enemy nations... Why they're putting America last? Well, it's because they're compromised. Compromised by the Chinese. Now look, the Chinese have long been engaged in an effort to infiltrate. Well, other nations, but especially the United States. This is much worse than the original Cold War, by the way. Remember Dianne Feinstein? Congresswoman from California? She had, I think it was for 20 years... A Chinese spy on her staff. It was a driver, 
but he was involved in other capacities as well, including helping her hire others, I believe. But she had a Chinese spy on her staff for many, many years. And then we have Fang Fang, who Eric Swalwell bang-banged. She also was a Chinese spy, infiltrated Eric Swalwell. How many other congressmen and women, both in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, are compromised by the Communist Chinese? We know that even Mitch McConnell, his wife, Chow, well, her family has a shipping company that has direct ties to Communist China. And we know that Trump, I mean, not Trump, not Trump, he's the only one that doesn't have communist ties, apparent, communist ties, apparently. But Biden, 10% for the big guy. We know that Hunter Biden has had numerous dealings, not just with Russia, but with China. He has been paid by the communist Chinese, enriched. And some of that money, of course, has gone to Joe Biden, the big guy. We know that Hunter Biden is the, essentially, he is the, 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 the bridge between Joe Biden and the communist Chinese. We know that Hunter Biden has secured meetings between his father, now President Joe Biden, then, at the time, Vice President Joe Biden, between him and individuals in China who had direct ties to the communist Chinese government. And now, of course, he's creating art worth hundreds of thousands of dollars that will be sold. Let's be honest, we know what it is. It's obvious. You'd have to be stupid to deny reality. It's in the open. He's going to get paid by unnamed individuals via his art dealer who once said that he wanted to be the largest art dealer to China in America. That's what this is all about. It's pay for play. Joe Biden's compromised. General Milley is compromised. Dianne Feinstein was compromised. Eric Swalwell was compromised. How many others are there? But we will, of course, never get Congress to investigate themselves, will we? And if you look at what happened in Afghanistan, gifting $85 billion in arms to the Taliban, and now, of course, the Taliban have taken over the government in Afghanistan, undoing the 20-year war, overnight, essentially, And China now is uh, cozying up to the Taliban. China's expanding their power. China has said years ago, a couple years ago, a few years ago, they're on the record saying that Russia was more than an ally. Their relationship was better than an alliance, more than an alliance. So China and Russia are holding hands. China's holding hands with the Taliban. All of these people, are they friendly to America? Of course not. It's starting to make sense, is it not? The only way you can, you can comprehend in a rational way why an American government would make policies that are detrimental to America's independence and superiority 
and benefit China, China's abilities and independence and strength is to look at it this way. That people in our government are working at the behest of China. Russia, an ally for all intents and purposes of China, well, they are, well, given the green light to have a pipeline to give them more energy independence. And meanwhile, Joe Biden, was what does he do while he, at that same time, he greenlights a pipeline for Russia, gives them oil, and he shuts down a pipeline here in the U.S. so that we are energy dependent. This is the greatest threat to America that no one seems to be willing to talk about. China's ties to Joe Biden and China's ties and infiltration of the American government. That's really the only thing that can explain everything that we're experiencing today. Yes, there's the totalitarian ambitions of the left, but they've got to deal with China. They're working for China and against us. And General Milley, he's committed treason. They used to hang people for that, by the way. They should still hang them for it today. It's a clear-cut, undeniable, indisputable violation of the Constitution and his sacred duty to protect and defend this nation. And there's little outrage, no outrage, in fact, from the left. They de- you know how they defend this, by the way? They defend Milley, saying that, well, Trump was deranged. Trump was off his rocker. So I guess if you hate Trump, you can destroy the Constitution. If you hate Trump, look, we're going to take away your guns because Trump's bad. We're going to take away your free speech because Trump is bad. This is really how they're using Trump. It's absolutely outrageous. And the point is, if Milley, I'm telling you, if Milley is not tried for what he's done, the Constitution's done. It's done. But the bigger point is, we know that the, the, the left has been attacking and violating the Constitution. I talked about in the last episode, right? How the, uh, what are they called in the bureaucracy? Doesn't really matter the official name, I guess. But they have labeled the Constitution harmful. They are trying to label the Constitution and our founding documents as harmful, dangerous documents? Because the reality is, that's the only document that stands in the way of us and tyranny. And, I mean, this is, as far as I'm concerned, this is an open call for war. I don't say that lightly. But if you've got a general in this country who commits literally treason, literally, It's written in the Constitution what treason is. He meets the definition of treason. And if this was the founding of the country or another time where we were less civilized, he'd be hanged right now. He'd be hanged for what he's done. But if there's no repercussions for what Mark Milley has done, this General Milley has done, I mean, what else can't, what what can't they do? in violation of the Constitution. They're sitting here defending Milley because, well, you know, Trump was bad. Orange Man was bad. 
And so if they disagree with you or don't like you, well, the Constitution doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. But I think that uh, every American citizen, we should stage outdoor public readings of the Declaration of Independence, which should send shivers down the spines of our elected officials. Because that document declares that it is our right, it is our duty to abolish the government if they continue to behave in this sort of manner, this reckless disregard for the law of the land. This is Drew Allen. I'll be right back. A couple of other stories I want to get into here before we close out today. I want to start with this. Um, Occupy Democrats. Um, well, this is a uh, activist Twitter account, an organization of the Marxist Democrat Party who you can go to to understand, well, to promote everything that, well, is Marxist that's happening in America. They applaud it. We condemn it here. Well, they broke a story today that a large Florida landlord, well, this landlord announced that he will begin requiring all new and existing tenants to provide proof of COVID vaccination, saying, I quote, you don't want to get vaccinated? You have to move. And if you don't, we will evict you. Is this not perfect for the Democratic Party and Democrats. Uh, If you can't afford to pay your rent, they believe the Constitution can be violated so that the CDC can extend an eviction moratorium, which says that you don't have to pay your landlord. And if you don't pay your landlord for rent, they can't evict you. And yet now they're coming after the unvaccinated saying we're going to evict you. This is yet another reason to detest the Democratic Party. Full of baloney, no principles whatsoever. They're just sick, sick people. Now, I want to talk about something else with regards to COVID. And I want to get into a little bit of a conversation about what what is going on with this vaccine. I can't answer the question completely, but I just want to encourage you to think about it as well because it doesn't make sense. Now, there's something called a monoclonal antibody therapy. Now, when this pandemic first began, there was not a specific treatment for COVID-19. We were trying to figure out what we could do to help uh, reduce symptoms and save lives. So, of course, the, the ideal scenario is always to prevent severe symptoms in the first place. We don't want them to develop at all. So monoclonal antibody therapy, that was a development in which physicians had a way to prevent severe symptoms from developing via COVID-19 in those who are high risk. Now, the FDA had extended this application of monoclonal antibody therapy for preventative use in those at risk due to a confirmed exposure to the virus. It was based on uh, results from a large number of clinical trials that found that these antibodies prevented symptoms in households 
where you had contact with COVID-positive individuals. Now, Dr. Huang is a doctor that I'm quoting here. This is from the uh, Houston Methodist. All right. So he describes how monoclonal antibody therapy works. It's also called monoclonal antibody infusion treatment. It's a way, he says, of treating COVID-19. The goal of this therapy, Huang says, is to help prevent hospitalizations, reduce viral loads, and and lessen symptom severity. So monoclonal antibodies are antibodies that are similar to the ones your body would naturally make in response to infection. They are mass-produced in a laboratory, and they're designed to recognize a specific component of this virus, the spike protein that we keep hearing about. So by targeting the spike protein, these specific antibodies interfere with the virus's ability to attach and gain entry into human cells. So they give your immune system an automatic leg up so that your immune system can then mount its own response and defend against the virus. And we know this therapy has been, can be, is extremely effective. So anyway, they've been pushing this in Florida, of course, opening this up because the biggest damning thing about the way this government and this corruption has handled this this COVID-19 is that they will not emphasize treatment options. It's all vaccine or nothing. You get the vaccine, but they're not interested at all in treating it like any other illness in which you would just provide treatment options that could save your life as well. And so you take these monoclonal antibody therapies as early in the disease, COVID-19 is possible, even if you're not feeling that bad. And it helps prevent the progression of this disease. It reduces hospitalization. All we hear, right, time and time again, hospitals are being overcrowded. Hospital. Well, this is a clear um, way to address that. Well, Biden and the Health and Human Services, well, they just blindsided Florida by restricting this treatment. It's politically motivated. Why would they do this? The only thing you can ascertain is that they they must want people in Florida to be hospitalized. They must want death in Florida so that they can attack Florida, attack DeSantis, and continue this myth that everyone has to be vaccinated. And for the life of me, by the way, I cannot understand it. I've had a couple different theories. One early on was, look, they want to break the human spirit. You don't want to get vaccinated? That's your personal choice? Well, the government's coming in, interfering, getting between you and your doctor, and saying, I don't care what you want. You're going to do what we say because we're the government and you're going to get vaccinated, hence the vaccine mandates and so on and so forth. But there's other odd things going on. I mean, why this push for the vaccine? I mean, when 99.5% of the population is not at risk of dying and you have all these treatment options, they can get that down even less. I mean, the truth is, 
With these treatment options that have been proven effective, whether it's hydroxychloroquine and zinc, ivermectin, monoclonal antibodies, I mean, the reality is nearly every American doesn't have to worry about dying from COVID, even if there's not a vaccine. And the vaccine, of course, we're learning, doesn't seem to be that effective. It's just not. That's fine if you've been vaccinated, but they're telling you you've been vaccinated and you still have to wear a mask. You've been vaccinated and you're not protected from the unvaccinated. You've been vaccinated, but you need 66 booster shots every year in addition to the vaccine you took. So we should be focused on treatment options like monoclonal antibodies. But for some reason, the only thing this corrupt government is telling us is that everyone has to be vaccinated. Why? Why? I mean, it's almost like they're trying to cover their tracks, isn't it? Because the reality is, if you have an unvaccinated portion of the population and you have a vaccinated portion of the population, well, you can compare study groups. But if everyone, 100% of the population, is vaccinated, well, if other illnesses come up, if side effects come up from this vaccine, well, you no longer have a control group that wasn't vaccinated to say, well, it is the vaccine, it is a result of the vaccine. And we've heard about this, uh, these different uh, uh, cardiac developments, problems, and individuals that have gotten the vaccine. And the truth is, this was a rushed vaccine. I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. I'm not condemning people who get the vaccine. That's the personal choice. And it doesn't seem to be present in a majority of people who get vaccinated to have these side effects. I mean, people have side effects to all kinds of medical treatments. But I'm just saying something stinks to high heaven about this intentional um withholding of treatment options while they push vaccines i mean at the, at the at the most at the least conspiratorial level the only rational explanation is that these uh vaccine developers these companies like moderna Well, they're making a fortune off of this vaccine. They've made billions and billions of dollars. So worst case, it's crony capitalism. There's some partnership between people who have stock options in this in government or other agreements with these pharmaceutical companies to push these vaccines. I told you the story last time about this. Well, I met this woman who who works in a hospital. And she's been told not to give old drugs, even if they do help treat COVID, prevent COVID, and so on and so forth, because they're cheap. They want to make more money. Follow the money. That's what everyone keeps saying. Follow the money. And I think we do need to follow the money on this. But this is absolutely outrageous. Because we know that the Biden administration, the Democratic Party, Will they want to destroy a potential challenger, which is the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, 
And of course, the main method of attack against him, just like they did on Trump, was cases, hospitalizations of COVID, patients. And so Ron DeSantis, by the way, I've talked to people who've been around him and know him, and they say he's a brilliant guy. He actually asks for these documents, the science, the data, and he studies the data about COVID himself, and then makes decisions. He's not beholden to anyone. He's actually truly following the science. And he's determined what everyone knows, monoclonal antibody therapy, it works. And so he was one of the, he was at the forefront of opening up and providing this treatment to as many people in the state of Florida as possible. And now you have the Biden administration coming in, kneecapping him, surprising him, and taking away this treatment option in Florida. Why would they do this? It works. Because they want people to suffer for political gain. And this gets back to the absolute evil of the Democratic Party. They murdered 10 innocent Afghanis and lied to us, telling us that these individuals they targeted were ISIS-K members that were planning future attacks against our troops. And when we asked for their names, they said, we can't tell you the names, we won't tell you the names, because, of course, they weren't ISIS-K members. They were aid workers putting water in their car that the American government The military establishment said they mistook for bomb-making materials and they killed them all in a drone strike, including young children. It's all political, all the time for these people. They are totally, totally unrestrained, devoid of any morality whatsoever. It's all about punishing political opponents. It's all about scoring political points, even if innocent people die because of it. And this vaccine stuff, it just doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense. We don't need vaccine passports. We don't need vaccine mandates. This virus is not particularly deadly to the majority of American people. And yet, here they are, continuing to push it. Making your unalienable rights dependent subject to you getting a vaccine. It just doesn't add up. This is Drew Allen. We'll be right back. California, uh, one of the senators here that I follow, uh, Tony Atkins. She's a Marxist Democrat. I believe she hails from the San Diego area, representing them at the state level. But no doubt she has ambitions for more. But uh, she's, of course, touting that uh, COVID cases are down in California. And she says that vaccines and indoor masking are working. And yet, in Florida, well, their numbers are dropping as well. They don't have any mandates whatsoever. And so you have a tale of two situations California, where their stupid, ignorant, anti-science, dark age movement. And then you have Florida that celebrates freedom. And both states are experiencing drops in COVID cases. I am so sick and tired of these media lies about masks working or vaccines working or this and that working. There's no correlation whatsoever. There's never been a correlation at all. 
We need to live our lives. We need to get the government off of our freaking backs and necks and just move on. But of course, they can't have that because they're enjoying the power too much. But I'm very concerned for this nation right now. I really am. Um, the left just continues to push and push and push. The Republicans uh, seem to be doing nothing. And their um, extremism at some point is, if left unchecked by themselves, is going to be met with extremism to combat their efforts. We are certainly in a cold civil war right now. I've talked about this many, many times. And, I mean, these folks are absolutely unhinged. You can barely have conversations with people anymore. Not me, I can do it. But the left, I mean, if you turn on their news sources that they listen to and watch, well, day in and day out, they're just sowing division, sowing hatred. And, um, you know, in, in some ways we have to take the higher ground in terms of how we deal with these individuals. But, again, I just remind you, you know, if you love this country and you want this country to, well, be left uh, better than the one you inherited, you got to start start speaking up. We've all got to start speaking up. We can no longer be the silent majority. We can't risk it anymore. And you have to understand, we have to understand and who these people are. They're filled with hatred. Filled with hatred. And... I don't know. I keep thinking back to this California recall failure. And I mean, I can't I can't believe I can't that a majority in this country are so radical, so hate-filled. I can't. But we have a moral crisis in America, and that's really what this all boils down to. This assault's been going on for a long time. And it's up to us, the American people, to restore that morality. And we just have to be focused on it day in and day out. That's all I can tell everyone. Because the other side, they wake up thinking about how to destroy this country, filled with hate. They go to sleep thinking about how to destroy the country the next day. And they're strategic. I talked to a buddy of mine who works for a um, state congressman in Oregon. And he was telling me to look into this one organization. Because I guess my question to him, I said, hey, you're, in the ground, you're on the ground. You're in there with people. Uh, it's shocking to me that, you know, the left has always been so organized. They're always on the same page. What's the deal? And I said... They do train for this. They go to 
basically like Boy Scout camp for Marxists. And they teach them how to talk, how to think, how to approach policymaking, how to rise in the ranks and assume power in this country, starting at the local level, going up, and so on and so forth. And that's why we're kind of behind. We've got to take an offensive approach, offensive approach from now on. We can never be defensive again. There is such thing as right and wrong, black and white. Uh, there is no gray area anymore. We cannot compromise with these people because what they, they don't want compromise. What they want is our defeat. You see and hear how they talk about it. Did you see that, that story in the news of this, this woman on an airplane? I think it was an American Airlines flight. I could be mistaken about the airline. I'm pretty sure it was American, though. And it's a mother and her, her I think her, her, her child, I mean, isn't any older than two years old. And the child has asthma. And this SOB um, on the flight, this flight attendant, because the kid won't cooperate and put the mask on, even though the kid has asthma, well, they made the woman and her, her, her child leave the plane and police were waiting for her. This is not a moral society in which you have people like that on an airline, a flight attendant, who has so much hatred for his fellow man, who's so indoctrinated that he, he sees a young child less than two years old that has asthma, that isn't wearing a mask on a flight? And he forces those people off the flight and calls the police to arrest them? That person must be dealt with severely. That person needs a rude awakening. Because if we sit on our hands and that continues to persist, forget about it. This country's gone. But those are the types of people we're dealing with. People like this flight attendant. who just extremists. They're the extremists. But anyway, lots going on. A lot will continue to happen. I will continue to be your, uh, your voice of reason here. I will tell it to you straight. Um, always real. Always honest. Always keeping up to date. But anyway, this is Drew Allen. Thank you for listening. And until next time.